The flyover state sports show is for a mature audience. It contains strong language and adult situations. We do not own the rights to any audio of the podcast. Viewer discretion is advised. Is this on? Welcome back to the Flyover State Sports Show. I am your host, Sam Long. I am here by myself today to bring you the show. We hope that everyone listening out there had a very, very pleasant Thanksgiving break. Hopefully you ate lots of turkey, ate lots of food, and had a great time with your families. So, everyone from Flyover extends our best wishes to everyone that is part of the Flyover fam. So, quick notes. Shout out to uh, Jacob Land and Sam Wooler for being some of our biggest listeners this year. They shared their Spotify wrapped with us, and we will probably be tweeting it out later this week probably sometime around Friday. If you're listening to this episode and we appear in your Spotify wrapped, please send us a picture between Beans, Gavin, and I. That way we can get you, our dear viewers, the recognition you deserve on our Twitter account at underscore underscore F3S. That's underscore underscore F3S. So, coming up later in the show today, because it was Thanksgiving, I will be giving you my top five Thanksgiving foods. But, that's not what you came here to the show to listen to today. Because I'm by myself, this will be more abbreviated, and I will get a rant about what I want to rant about. So, we'll obviously cover the hits, we'll obviously cover... The games that went down. We might even talk a little basketball if we can get, can get to it. Probably not. Basketball's not quite in swing yet. And we'll obviously talk Chiefs. But we will definitely be talking about the college football playoff. We'll definitely be talking about the rankings that came out. Today's Wednesday. So they would have came out yesterday. And we'll definitely be talking about just some other general things. So, let's begin. So we always start with winners on this show, right? Don't start with losers, we start with winners. And the big winner in the state of Kansas from a college football perspective over the weekend was absolutely the University of Kansas Jayhawks. They went and Beat the hell out of Cincinnati. I don't remember what the score was. And I'm using my phone to record, so I cannot look it up. But they went and defeated Cincinnati a lot to a little. Looked very good doing it. And capped off an 8-4 season with a 5-4 conference record. To put them squarely in about 8-ish place or so. So... What I will do is, I don't really care about the game. KU obviously played very well. Jason Bean came back. And that's really all I'm going to say about the game. Because the game doesn't really matter that much. It's a bad team going against a good team. And the good team won. So, I think really, for more of this talk, it behooves me and the viewer or the listener today to for me to talk more about overarching things when it comes to the University of Kansas and their football team. So I think this year is another nice little stepping stone in the trajectory that Kansas football is under Lance Leipold. So, you know, last year, you know, they go 
3-0 and in the non-con. Same thing this upcoming year, last year, too. So, both years have a lot of Jason Bean in it. Actually, realistically, we haven't seen a lot of Jalen Daniels, right? It, it's almost kind of hard to say how good he is, but Jason Bean has been leading this team to their first bowl game in, you know, 10-odd years. And their first eight-win season in a long time. So, shout-out to Jason Bean. Jason Bean really performed at a high level for KU over the past two years. Really. And, uh, honestly, when you look at the program, you went three and six in conference last year. And so the wins that you got came from going five and four in conference this year. Now, some will argue that some of those wins are against BYU and Cincinnati and UCF, but you can only play those on your schedule. And I mean, UCF, I honestly think is all right. BYU, I think, is better than what the record shows. They nearly beat Oklahoma State last week. They nearly beat Oklahoma two weeks ago. They near, like, I mean, BYU is a lot better than what I think the record shows them to be. Cincinnati is just bad. Um, And KU lost again to Texas Tech. They probably should have won. But, you know, Jason Bean gets knocked out. So, what does this mean for KU? Well, KU is probably going to go to... I don't know what bowl game KU's going to go to. It really kind of depends on if Texas makes the playoff. If Texas makes the playoff, then, you know, everyone goes up, you know, one bowl. Or if Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 title, then they end up in a big bowl, and Texas likely does as well. And that kind of pushes everyone up. So I think it really kind of depends on what you think will happen. I know everyone wants to go to the Pop-Tart Bowl because, you know, edible mascot and Pop-Tarts and haha. Um, KU is very likely not going to get an opportunity to play in the Pop-Tart Bowl. I couldn't imagine. They could pick whoever they want. I don't think it would happen just because they're so far down the standings. Maybe if it was like they were tied with Iowa State and K-State, that could work. But I really think that, assuming Oklahoma State loses, you're probably looking at Oklahoma State, K-State, or Iowa State, and that's a lot. But that's neither here nor there. doesn't really matter for right now. The overall trajectory of the program, though, is positive. KU has a top 40, 45-ish recruiting class coming in for next year, according to uh, 24-7. Um, they're going to get Jalen Daniels back. Um, Lance Leipold is still there. And at this point, you're kind of reaching that point where KU might be good enough to just stay. Like, is it worth going from a program that probably can compete for a Big 12 title in the future and, like, even getting that large bid into the college football playoff? Is it worth leaving that job to go be the head coach at, like, fucking Michigan State. Where suddenly, like, you're playing USC and UCLA and Ohio State and Michigan and Washington and Oregon. Obviously, they're not playing all those teams every year. But, like, you genuinely... There's only... There's really only... Like, for a job like Michigan State, <laughs> there's really only seven spots... Because I, I, I don't want to be an asshole to Michigan State fans. Because it, it's going to sound like I am. And I am being an asshole to Michigan State fans. Because they have won the conference. But realistically, for most years, you're going to lose the conference probably to Oregon or Ohio State or to Michigan. Or maybe even like Penn State or like Washington or USC. Like there's just so many teams vying to be the number one team in that conference. And so you're pretty much just vying for one of seven at-large bids, which you're going to have to vie with teams in the Big 12 and the ACC who are just going to have 
easier schedules and easier times to win. So, you know, like, let's say Utah goes and wins the Big 12 next year, and they're like 11-1. Well, like, would it shock anyone if Iowa State, who went like 8-4, and four, who, like, is starting pretty much all, like, juniors and sophomores this year, would it really shock you if Iowa State, who also will get K-State at home, and I know that K-State just lost Iowa State, and we'll get to that. But, like, they get him at Jack Trice. Like, would it really shock you if Iowa State was, like, 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one also? Like, Utah and Iowa State both are, like, 11-1 and one going into the conference title game. Like, I mean, that wouldn't be likely. I don't even know if they played just as they could. But, like, are you really going to leave out 11-2 Iowa State for losing to Utah in the conference championship over, like, Michigan State, who has, like, no good wins, maybe, in, like, three conference losses. Like, the guy with State just makes it then, right? <laughs> and, like, that's the thing that's funny to me is, like, everyone's like, oh, well, like, look at how many, like, Texas is going to be in the SEC now, and, like, Oklahoma's going to be in the SEC now, and they're going to get so many teams in the playoffs. And I sit here, and, like, I'm like, oh, and they're like, oh, like, Washington and Oregon are going to the Big Ten, and, like, Big Ten have, like, five teams. Guys, they have to still play each other. Like, Oregon and Washington have good have better records because Oregon and Washington have been playing like Cal and Stanford. You know what I mean? Like Oregon and like Oregon and Ohio State have to play like Oregon and Ohio State both have one loss. And they probably gotta play each other. Or one's gotta play Michigan. Like all these teams are gonna have like one or two losses now, just from in-conference games. And that doesn't even include, like, you know, all of whatever. You know what? Again, I'm getting sidetracked on college football playoff stuff. Um, but the, the point goes is that, like, Lance Leipold probably has a better chance of winning a national title at KU than he does at, like, Michigan State. Because Michigan State... And I'm I'm picking on Michigan State. This goes for like, fuck. This goes for even like Ole Miss, right? They're, they're second tier programs and top tier conferences. Like you might as well be the top dog in a second tier conference, especially when you can help dominate. You know, an area like there's no high leverage college football, like in the in middle America, like really. You have, like, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and, like, Nebraska. And then the rest of it is just, like, the Big 12. Like, the Big 12 is pretty much the Rockies at this point, which is, like, super weird to say. But, like, the Rockies conference is the Big 12 with, like, some Texas and Midwest elements to it, obviously. But I think... Honestly, what's crazy is, like, it's so important in the Rocky Mountain time zone that, like, really, the Big 12 should be having, like, all their stuff in mountain time because of how important that's going to be. But KU has an opportunity to do a lot of really good things next year. They bring back a lot of things. Um, My word of caution to them as someone who brought back a lot of things from a Big 12 championship team is... And this goes also for Wichita State basketball a couple of years ago. Just because you bring back, like, almost everyone doesn't always work that way. Everyone kind of thinks that, like, oh, we brought everyone back, so it's all going to be good. It doesn't always work that way. K-State did the same thing. They had, you know, the Elite Eight team with Jacob Pullen and Danny Clemente and, like, all those guys. And... All they lost was Luis Cologne, and that's why they were ranked, like, number three preseason. And they, like, ended up being, like, a 10 seed or something. Like, they were, like, or, like, an 11 seed. They, they were, like, not rated super highly. And they upset someone in the first round and then lost to Wisconsin in the second round. And, like, that was it. Like, they were done. And I'm not saying that will happen to KU. I'm just saying, while... 
everything is trending up. And while you'll bring back a lot, I think it remains to be seen exactly how much more improvement there is in the tank. Because KU started out so bad that like any sort of improvement was going to create momentum, right? And momentum's a fickle thing. Momentum can stop at any time. I don't know if it will or won't. I don't know what the ceiling on KU is. I mean, the ceiling on KU in a theoretical standpoint is that Orange Bowl team, right? And you know, you got like, you have like all pro corners on that team. Like you get talent on that team. But so I guess the ceiling on KU realistically is like a college football playoff run. Winning the Natty is probably not going to happen just from a talent perspective, but KU has the resources to recruit that recruit that way. They recruit that way for basketball. There's no reason they can't recruit that way for football. But I think, really, it's an all-around very good season for KU. Lance Leipold is building something very good, and they probably should have beat K-State. Really, the only thing KU didn't do this year that I think... The only thing KU didn't do this year that I think is really a negative from the season is not taking advantage of beating K-State when they really should have. And I think that is just part of the culture change. You still have guys who have been there, you know, for years when they were bad. But slowly but surely, all the players that are starting to be there like, your juniors now, all they know is 500 regular seasons and better, right? All the seniors that are there now, all they know is steady progression. From, like, two wins to six wins to eight wins, right? So, you have the right mentality going forward, and you have a lot of pieces coming back. I would need to look at what the schedule says, before I can say, like, oh, this team can compete for a Big 12 title. I don't see why they couldn't. They should be able to. Um, but overall, I think, you know, KU has a chance to get to nine wins, which is a big deal. And I'll say the same thing for K-State. Nine wins is a big deal. Ten wins is a bigger deal, obviously. But, like, not a lot of teams get to go nine and four. <laughs> like... There are a lot of teams that don't win nine games a lot of times. You know, Nebraska fires their coaches for going nine and four. But like I but like, you know, a lot of programs don't always go nine and four. Like th- these are special times for those kind of programs. So transitioning away from KU, I mean, all you can really say is great job. You did a good job, Lance. You're doing a great job, Lance. And honestly, you know, continue to do a good job. KU being relevant is good for the conference. But, you know, transitioning from one 8-14 to another, K-State really lost a very winnable game there in Farmageddon, Snowmageddon. Lots of snow. Wasn't actually that cold, just a lot of snow. Just not a lot of, like, body heat temperature. And really, one of the strangest games I've ever watched. Um, K-State out, didn't outgain Iowa State, but out first down to Iowa State, out time possession to Iowa State. Did, like, all those little metrics that you really think, like, you would need to win games. Won the turnover battle. And they managed to lose the game because they gave up five 60-yard touchdowns and one 40-yard touchdown. And when I say five 60-yard TDs, I mean five 60-plus-yard TDs. It was one of the most confounding It was one of the most confounding games I have seen of football. And that's like all I can really say is it was just like a fever dream of a game. 
like a game I'll probably never actually get over because it was so weird. And the thing that I think upsets me the most is Iowa State now takes like a three-game lead into like in the all-time series. And the thing that bothers me about that is, you know, I really was hoping that we win this game. All we got to do is win two out of three. And by the time that the Farmageddon, like, consecutiveness rivalry ends in 2027, all you got to do is go two and one and, like, the rivalry's tied. You own the rivalry or whatever. You get ahead of it if, you know, if you win the next three. Like, if you win that last game. And this isn't, like, a big deal. It really doesn't matter, like, in the grand scheme. But, like, K-State doesn't own (laughs) any rivalry games against anyone that's, like, a legitimate rival. Like, even, like, when K-State had the record over Texas, Texas won, like, seven straight, and, like, they're up, like, ten to eight now, I think. And, like, K-State, like, really bottled the chance at, like, being ha-ha all-time record. Um, but, like, even then, like, that's just, like, oh, ha-ha, Texas. But, like, the legitimate rivalries, like, your old Big 8 schools, like, KU, Iowa State, Oak State. Like, you don't own any of the rivalries in that one. But And Iowa State's, like, the one that you're close to. And that feels really bad. Really, the thing that is more concerning is Chris Kleiman has only beaten Iowa State once, I'm pretty sure. He he is either... So this is fifth year. So he's either... He's either two and three or one and four. I can't remember which... I can't remember if he won in 2019. I know he lost in 20, and I know he lost in 21. But I cannot remember if they won in 19. I doubt they won in 19, but like... I digress. I'm trying to remember what we all did in 19. Because K-State only went like 7-5 and five that year in 19. And then they won the bowl game, I think. No, no, no. I lied. They went 8-4 and four, lost the bowl game. So I'm trying to remember if in 19 they would have won that game. I know they would have lost to Texas. And I can't remember anyone else. So we're just going to say we lost to Iowa State because that makes sense. They probably lost like Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas, obviously. And then I think they lost to Baylor. I think they lost to Baylor. I think that championship game was Oklahoma State and Baylor that season. So we'll go Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Someone can fact check me on that. But Kleiman has not (laughs) performed against Iowa State which honestly is like the second biggest game now, especially to perform in. He's performing against KU, but KU is getting closer every year, and he's already not performing against Matt Campbell and Iowa State. Now, for me personally, Kleiman is an eight and four coach that has like a Big Twelve championship ceiling, right? We saw it last year. Um. But let's just list off the records every year, if we may. 2019 is his first year. 8-4 and four in the regular season with a bowl loss. 2020 is a disastrous COVID year. 4-6. 2021, they go 7-5. and five, And then they beat a Hushu in a bowl game with a wide receiver at quarterback. And they go 8-5 and five again. And then last year... They go 10-4, and four, win a Big 12 title game, lose to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. That's that's house money at that point, right? Like, Alabama's really good. And then this year, they're 8-4, and four, and so, I mean, if they win their bowl game, it's the second best season that Chris Kleiman has had at K-State. Um... But you really need to take in perspective how different each team is at being 8-4 and four between K-State and KU, right? K-State is not very happy with 8-4, and, and KU is ecstatic with it. And 
honestly, I understand why K-State fans are not happy with 8-4. Because you saw the team win 10 games last year, and you think, oh my god, we should definitely win, like, 10 games again at least, right? And I don't disagree with that. I don't think that's, you know... I don't think that's wrong. What I will say is this team is, like, one win in the regular season worse than last year. And they went, like, one in four in one-score games. So, K-State, the previous year, was, like, good in one-score games and overachieved. Right? This year, we were better. I do believe this team was better this year, and we just didn't convert in one-score games. I mean, that's the difference. K-State, you know, converting in one-score games, like, realistic wins in one-score games, are the Texas game and the Missouri game, honestly. Now, that doesn't get us to Arlington. We lose out on our Arlington chance, losing to Iowa State. Obviously, if things change, there's different motivations. Like it, It's way too hard to project what would have happened because there's, like, four games Afterwards, like K-State, after the Texas game, played like Baylor and KU and Iowa State and like, they played one other team too, I'm pretty sure. But they played four games after that Texas game, like three or four games after the Texas game. So like, I mean, like... How does that change things? Does it change the Baylor game? Probably not. They probably still kick the shit out of Baylor. Uh, does it affect the KU game? I mean, probably the atmosphere is even more intense. There's more pressure on K-State to perform. So, I mean, maybe. Maybe they do choke. I mean, K-State has absolutely choked before with expectations. And then, the only thing else, the Iowa State game is weird because... There's stakes in that game. There's less stakes in that game the moment that Texas and Oklahoma won. The moment that Texas and Oklahoma won on Friday was the moment that that game became, like, quote-unquote, irrelevant or whatever from a conference championship perspective. I don't know how much that factors in, and it shouldn't, because it's senior day, and everyone should be jazzed up to play on senior day. But, I don't know. K-State really should have been able to beat Missouri, really should have been able to beat Texas, and they probably should have went 7-2 and in a, like, it would have been like a four- or five-way tie. I don't remember exactly what it would have been. I think it still would have been a four-way tie between... Texas, Oak State, Oklahoma, and K-State at that point. And I think Texas still makes it to the championship game. Actually, I'm pretty sure I ran the sim, and it was Texas and Oklahoma would make it. So, is it a good thing? Is it a good thing that K-State didn't win those games? Maybe. I don't know. If you are, like, you know, rooting against Texas and Oklahoma, then yes, it's a good thing that K-State didn't beat Texas. Um, Beating Missouri would have been nice, though. (laughs) But I think, really, you have to look at where the program is heading and what's going on. And I want to be the first one to say a couple things. I really, really, really am cool with eight-win seasons. Eight and like eight and four in a regular season, and a bowl win. So like nine and four, eight and five. I'm pretty indifferent for nine and four. I know people are going to say like, oh, nine and four, eight and five are like the same thing, and it's like no, it's not. Teams don't win nine games a lot. Nine and four is still a really good season. That is a momentum building season. And K State needs to keep up momentum. K State can't go out and lose the bowl game. And then if KU go win it, because then it's like, oh, well, KU got nine wins, K-State got eight. Like, K-State can't do that. Um, I guess that's really all I wanted to say about that. I mean, I think the program is fine. I think 
I think you owe, I think really, this is always like that really cliche thing. Last year's team should have been this year's team in terms of accomplishments. And this year's team should have been last year's team in terms of accomplishments. This year's team should have won like, went like 10-2 and like won a Big 12 title. And last year's team should have just missed out. Like Texas should have been the Big 12 title last year against TCU or something. But like K-State should have like played Texas in the Big 12 championship game this year. And won it or something. So I, I, I think K-State kind of got their stuff a year early and then got unlucky. I mean, like, let's be real. Like, if you flip all the one-score games, K-State's 11-1 this season. Like, I mean, like, I don't know what you want. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's there. The stuff is there. Um, But from a future perspective... I guess we need to address the elephant in the room for K-State, at least. Also, I want to shout out everyone who went to that game and stayed through the whole game. I don't want to sound like an ass, but, like, to all the students that left at halftime, go fuck yourself. You were already there for half the fucking game. Team needed you. I get it's really bad weather. I'm not going to blame anyone for not coming because it's really shitty weather and it's really tough driving. And a lot of people needed to leave the next morning or never to go back to where they were going. I get not going. But, like, if you're already there as a student, uh, you fucking live there, sir and or madam. Like, fucking stay. Um, that was really sad. It was really, really sad to see the seniors try and play their guts out and, like, half the stadium leave. Like, I felt awful for them. And I felt awful for them, too, that, like, people started leaving after, like, the last turnover. Like, you've got to send the seniors off. Like, that's such a... That's such a fair-weather fan move, and that pisses me off. I, I just feel like you need to show gratitude to the guys who are playing, right? Like, you're not, you're not just going to, like, fucking watch the game. You're going to support the team, and... You support the team till the end. <laughs> you know, you you tip your cap, you clap for them until they get to the locker room, and then you go home. It's not about get you leaving like two minutes or everyone's leaving two minutes early, and there's snow on the ground. You're not getting home like any faster. You're saving yourself like five or ten minutes. Like that's irrelevant. But I mean, the, to address the elephant in the room, K State has had a lot of transfers over the uh, past couple days. Um, Notables include um, Will Lee from yesterday, corner. Uh, He was all right. I know Beans really liked him. He's a big guy. He didn't really... He didn't play very good against Iowa State, and it's been rumored that he was on the way out after that game anyways. So, kind of feels like it was a mutual decision. I don't know. He didn't look very good against Iowa State anyways. And partially looked like he was probably checked out. And then Treshawn Warden Ward, that's obviously a tough one. Um if you're gonna lose any position, running back is kinda the most replaceable. Ward is good, but Giddens is still there. We'll see what happens. And then obviously the one that hurts is Will Howard. And, you know, Will Howard was given a ton of grief by me. And it's very hypocritical of me to be giving him so much praise of what I'm about to do here. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus Christ. Um, but, you know, I'll keep it brief. Will really, you know, the, the 16 goals outside the Snyder statue at K-State, um, Will really was the embodiment of the 16 goals. Um, Golly, that kid came in during 2020 with a summer and three weeks worth of practice. And he played. He played, man. He played through some tough stretches. Stretches where I, you know, said, bench this guy. 
so I can make sure that he is the best quarterback on our roster. I was calling for Nick Ost. And no offense to Nick Ost. But, I mean, he got destroyed by our fans online. Like, just killed for how he performed. And then, you know, he comes back. He came back. He didn't have to. So many people, like, could have left by that point. But he came back. He decided he wanted to be there. And then Skyler got hurt again. And he started splitting snaps with Jaron Lewis. And everyone was just calling for Jaron Lewis to play. Because Will Howard was awful. And then, you know, everyone's talking about how Will Howard's bad. And, like, Skylar Thompson's, like, on one good leg. But, like, he's still better than Will Howard. And then, you know, you go against TCU in a big game. K-State's having a good season. And Adrian Martinez gets hurt. And everyone is just like, the season's over. And then that dude balled out against TCU. I will never forget just thinking to myself, God, what a fluky performance this is. And they don't win, and Will gets hurt during the game. Not that that really might have made a difference, but, you know, whatever. And then, like, Adrian comes back, and he gets hurt again, and Will wins a Big 12 title, like, out of fucking nowhere. And it's just incredible. And he comes back this year. He ties the single-season record for passing touchdowns. Gutted he didn't break that, by the way. Just gutted. Terrible, like, snow game stuff from that. But then he breaks the career passing touchdown record. Like, what a career, man. What a guy. And the worst part of it all is we lost... The last game he played for us. He's one of the great quarterbacks for K-State. And it always feels like the great quarterbacks always go out with L's, man. Michael Bishop lost to Purdue. Klein lost to Oregon. Jake Waters lost to UCLA. Skylar Thompson's like one of the only dudes who went out on like a high note. And it's because he played a wide receiver at quarterback against LSU. But, like, Jesse Ertz, like, I mean, I mean, Jesse Ertz isn't, like, an all-time great or anything. Oh, like, L. Roberson and Ohio State. It, but, like, you know, Jesse Ertz, like, missed the last part of the season because he got hurt. It, it just always feels like these great quarterbacks for K-State just fall on the sword. They never get that great ending. And it it was so painful because Will walking off the field, you know, he signs something for a kid and he looks back and he just looks gutted. And honestly, I, I feel bad for Will, right? Will obviously really loved K-State or else he would never have stayed. And honestly, I really do hope he goes into the NFL draft. He's not ruled that out. I really, really would enjoy that. I don't know if he'll get drafted. I, I I'm cool with whatever Will does as long as he doesn't really as long as he doesn't go to Missouri or like Nebraska. I, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, he enters the transfer portal, and honestly, I hope he gets a fair shake in the transfer portal. Who know Who knows where he'll go? And it could even be pro, like we said, but. We'll just have to see. But, like, really all I can say is I was wrong. I was so wrong. And I'm so sorry for all the things I said when you were a quarterback for us your freshman year, Will. You're not going to be listening to this, but I am so sorry. And I am so thankful you stayed because you gave K-State – So many memories. And I hope you have success. 
at your next stop. And with that being said, it's officially time to move on to the Avery Johnson era. And he'll be starting the bowl game. K-State will get a chance at nine wins. And we'll see what happens. But right now it feels like a program that is two programs in Kansas are kind of going in opposite or I don't want to say opposite directions. K-State is kind of at a plateau and KU is trending up and we'll see what happens next year. But, you know, we'll have to see. K-State loses a lot. You know, they lost, they're going to lose Cleed Duke and Cooper Beebe and Ben Sennett. Like K-State is losing a lot of really good players and KU's probably keeping a lot. So we'll see what happens. K-State could be in a world of hurt next year. Or K-State could be good. You never really know with the transfer portal era. But with that, I think, you know, we're going to talk. We're going to stick with college football a little bit later. We're going to preview the big conference championship games. There's actually a couple of big ones. But we'll preview those in a second. I want to talk Chiefs a little bit. And I said last week, so this is a horrid transition, but we're going to talk Chiefs. Um, Chiefs were the biggest of winners this week in my book um, because they finally looked like an actual offense for once. So Kansas City won the game about 35-17, to I think is what the final score was. Something along those lines. And it was the first really, really good performance I had seen in a while. First complete performance, I should say. K-State did a... K-State. You can tell that I'm tired <laughs> by saying K-State there. Kansas City, I feel like, did a very, very good job of getting their playmakers the ball. So, to start, to to, paraf- to preface all of this... It might have been 30 to 17. I don't really remember what the score was, to be honest. Like 31, maybe. But let me preface it. The Raiders went up 14 to nothing, like midway through the first quarter. Like, it was not looking great. And, you know, it was it became a thing of, oh my God, if our defense sucks, our offense sucks, and we're a bad team. And then Kansas City allowed three more points the rest of the game and scored 30 plus the rest. And realistically, Kansas City, I feel like, simplified the offense to the point where Patrick Mahomes started actually checking the ball down again. So, to me, this is what I think I've found. So, Patrick Mahomes checked the ball down a lot against the Raiders. And they scored a lot of points. And the offense looked good. And Pacheco was really involved. Rice was really involved. Kelsey was really involved. Like, those are, I think everyone would say those are our three best playmakers this year. At least from, like, an opportunity to, like, play-made standpoint. Some might say, like, oh, well, Kadarius Tony's a better playmaker. And I would say, but he doesn't show it all the time. But anyways. To me, Patrick Mahomes is very much like that wild stallion, right? If you catch the wild stallion and you train him and you break him in, don't you don't like neuter him, but you you catch the stallion and you turn him into a racehorse. The stallion's going to run wild on the tracks and it's going to win a lot, right? And that's what Patrick Mahomes is. Like, under Eric Bieniemy, at least. See, I think that Eric Bieniemy was very much a disciplinary, very much a, like, my way or else kind of coach. And Nagy, I feel like, is, I'm a smart guy, and, like, this is what we're going to do. I don't know. Nagy, to me, I don't feel like is the disciplinary figure that Bienvi is. 
And that creates problems because Mahomes is a wild stallion. He is a cut from the same cloth as Brett Favre. Where, and Josh Allen's the same way too. Like, Dable, Dable's an asshole. Anyone can, like, listen to Brian Dable and, like, watch him and know he's a dick. And Josh Allen is also one of these wild stallions. But guess what? Brian Dable, like, solved his turnover problem. Because he kept him in line, right? Mahomes doesn't necessarily have a turnover problem. Mahomes has a I want to make big plays problem. And Josh Allen has that same problem. It just manifests into turnovers more often than Mahomes because Josh Allen is worse than Mahomes. But for Pat, I feel like he just was letting it fly for the last couple of weeks. And we finally started to see it condense. And Mahomes is being more reined in, more checkdowns, and just general, like, just being more generally in line. So, to me, that was a good sign. And also, Sky Moore showed me something. That was something I didn't expect. I thought Sky Moore looked really good in his limited touches. And I thought the defense made good adjustments. I said last week that Kansas City had to show me something if they if I wanted to consider them someone who could actually win a Super Bowl. And I think they showed me something. They showed me that whatever bottled potential that they have that they used to win the Super Bowl last year, it's still there. And I think it's going to have to come in the form of cutting Justin Watson and MVS and a lot of like the deep shots out of the offense. So I think the Chiefs are trending in a positive direction. Chiefs are playing Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. Green Bay is super interesting. Green Bay is a very young team that's all kind of growing together and it's starting to click. They just beat the Lions, and the Lions beat the Chiefs, but, you know, football's not transitive. Um, so, I think it's a very interesting matchup. I think the Green Bay is still really green, no pun intended. And that the Chiefs' defense is something you can lean on. But I think playing in Lambo is going to be a slight issue. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people would think. And I think this is going to be one of those games where the Packers are trying to get their way back into playoff contention. And I think they'll lose, genuinely. I think they'll lose. I think Kansas City will pull it out like 28 to 27 or something like that. You know, it'll be like 27 to 21. And then Patrick Mahomes will score a TD with like two minutes left. And Jordan Love just doesn't quite doesn't qu- I'll go here how about this I'll go yeah whatever Jordan Love doesn't quite you know make the plays necessary to go win the game or whatever we'll call it yeah whatever we'll call it like that 28-27 will be my score Kansas City wins but this is going to be one of those games where I think people are like oh the Packers are good <laughs> Like, they're a good team. They're a solid outfit. And I think they use this to project, propel themselves in that last wildcard spot. Because there's a lot of bad teams fighting for that wildcard spot, including Minnesota. So, I think it'll be close. I think the Chiefs will pull it out. Veteran experience. But on the road in the NFL Sunday night, everyone's probably going to pick the Chiefs. So, you know, you have the cursed fucking... Like, scream, where it's like, oh, everyone pick the Chiefs. So, I think Kansas City 28-27 is about where I'm at with this one. But uh, watch out for the Packers. So, we have about 10 minutes here. I did not realize that this recording software that I was using was going to cap me at 60 minutes. So, we're going to give you one 60-minute broadcast. It's not going to be exactly 60 minutes, but, you know, whatever. So we're going to run down Sam's top five 
Thanksgiving foods for right now. And then I'm going to end it with previewing some of the conference title games. And I'm going to give my picks. And then I'm pro- if we have time, I'll talk to you about what's wrong with the new college football playoff coming up. I did a lot of rambling in the K-State and KU section. And I apologize if I knew I had 60 minutes. would have cleaned it up. But anyways, so top five Thanksgiving foods. So I think, so we'll go from five to one. And so start at number five. I'm going to go turkey. Okay. I know that's a, I'm not a huge turkey guy. Right. I think turkey is vastly overrated as a food item just in general. It's only popular because of Thanksgiving. Turkey is fine. And specifically, turkey on a roll to make a sandwich. That's usually what I do. Number four to me is pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie. I know people don't. I know a lot of people don't like pumpkin pie, and I get it. But I love myself a good pumpkin pie. It's delicious, and it's really simple. It's just pie filling and pie crust. It's awesome. Put some whipped cream on it. Great. Number three is mashed potatoes with corn in it. I know. Like, I'm combining things. But the starchness of potatoes with the sweetness of corn is really, really good. And you really should not knock that combo until you try it. I personally think, and I know I'm going to catch so much flack for this, but potatoes, like mashed potatoes with corn is better than mashed potatoes with gravy. Like gravy's like not even that good in my opinion. Like I like sausage gravy because I like sausage. Like not because I actually like gravy. Like brown gravy in my opinion is not even that good either. Um... (laughs) It's not bad, and, like, I wouldn't not eat it, and, like, it goes good in potatoes. Corn is just better. Like, I implore you to try the combo. Number two, a lot of you will never have heard of this, but it's ham loaf. And pretty much all ham loaf is is a thing of ham and a thing of, like, pork shoulder or pork butt or whatever other pork products go in there. You grind it all up, and you make a pig meatloaf. And, like, cover it and cook it. And I think it's some some sort of barbecue-based sauce. It is incredible. It will change your life. You know, it's funny because everyone in the family every year says, we don't need to make the ham loaf. No one likes ham loaf. And then the ham loaf is always gone. I only eat, like, two pieces of it, and it's always gone. There's never any ham loaf left because everyone likes ham loaf. You really need to try it. And then number one, the most controversial one, and I know people are going to say, but we can get this anywhere and eat it anytime. But macaroni and cheese is so goddamn good. I love mac and cheese. I cannot tell you how good macaroni and cheese is, and it works flawlessly with Thanksgiving. It is delicious. I, you cannot, you can fuck up mac and cheese. But you can't go wrong with using mac and cheese during Thanksgiving. Honestly, mac and cheese probably isn't even Thanksgiving exclusive. I would honestly say you should use it for Christmas as well. Because mac and cheese just goes good with everything. So that's my list. Feel free to uh, provide your own list at underscore underscore F3S on Twitter. That's underscore underscore F3S on Twitter. Tag us and tell us what your top five Thanksgiving meals are. So we have about five minutes left here, and so I'm going to break down and give my picks for all the conference championship games. So we might as well start with the big kahuna, the one on Friday. We have Washington at Oregon. Oregon is a heavy favorite against Washington, and honestly, I don't know why. I don't think Oregon is any better than Washington. If I was betting it, I would take Washington with the points, personally. I know Oregon's been beating the hell out of teams, especially Oregon State. I just personally think Washington is like one of those teams that will beat a similarly talented team just because they can. Um, 
I'm going to take Washington. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to take Washington to win that game. Then going in, the Big 12 game will be at 11, so we might as well preview it next. We got Texas versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has a very, very Cinderella-type run to this. Oklahoma State is very, very fraudulent. Oklahoma State will definitely make this a game. Texas likes to keep teams around. Don't let Texas beating Texas Tech by 50 fool you into thinking that Texas hasn't played with their food. Iowa State, beating Iowa State by multiple scores in Ames is impressive. And they get out to big leads. The problem is, is when teams are able to come back from big leads. Now, this game is either going to be very close or Texas is going to blow the doors off of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State could even win the game. I think the big difference is that Alan Bowman is not going to be able to actually beat Texas with his arm. I think Oklahoma State's defense will show up for the occasion. They Oklahoma State's defense always seems to show up for the occasion. The big problem is, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. So give me Texas. SEC championship game, I'm not picking against Georgia. I do not care. They could lose. I do not care. Um... Um, yeah, I'm just going to pick Georgia because I don't care. I will pick Georgia until Georgia loses loses a game, and then I will reevaluate. ACC, this is the big upset. So, like, Washington-Oregon is an upset, like, Vegas-wise, not, like, rankings-wise. I think Louisville was looking ahead against Kentucky. I think getting a reality check tech kind of loss to Kentucky Wake Louisville up. I think Louisville is not a great team. I also don't think Florida State is a great team. I think they are very above average. And Jordan Travis made them pretty good. I know that, like, they beat LSU earlier in the season. I just don't see it. Um, I just, yeah, I'm just not buying at all. I'm not buying that Louisville is not going to win this game. I genuinely think Louisville will win this game because I genuinely think that Florida State is going to miss Jordan Travis in a crucial moment. And then in terms of the Big Ten, Michigan's going to win the game. I don't know. The the under might hit. It might not. I don't really know. But Michigan should win that game. So I have my final college football playoff poll being, I think, Georgia will be one. Michigan and Washington will be interchangeable. I don't really think it matters which one. And then I think Texas will make it on the four slot. So I think I have Georgia, Texas, and then Ohio State, Washington. And we can, if I'm projecting from there, I'm just going to say Georgia wins because, lol, Georgia wins. The two other massive conference championship games to watch out for are Tulane is playing, I believe, SMU in the AAC conference championship game. And Liberty is playing New Mexico State in the uh, conference was a championship game. Both those teams are ranked in the 20s. Tulane's like 21. Liberty's like 23, I think. Liberty is undefeated and ranked behind in, in the second slot for the uh, in the second slot for the uh, final or for the uh, group of five. Uh, New Year's Six game, and obviously Tulane holds the the spot for that. So Tulane wins. They're in. They're playing in a second consecutive New Year's Six bowl game. Shout out to Willie Fritz. It's just Tulane. Ha ha, funny. But if Liberty wins and Tulane lose, loses, we could see an undefeated Liberty team playing against like Penn State or something. So that's things to look out for. So we are running low on time. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening today. Sorry everything was so rushed towards the end of the show. We'll do better next week when I record by myself. Things will be more streamlined. But we want to thank everyone for listening today. We want to thank everyone for listening for the last couple of for the last couple of years. And we hope that we've brought you some entertainment. If you want to follow us, we've already set our Twitter. But make sure to find us on Spotify, Wrapped, and Apple Pod. Last order of business. If you're listening, you know, Rachel and Anthony, congratulations on your engagement. Congratulations on your future wedding. It's an honor that I will be in it. 
Thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. And if you're listening, we'll hit you next week. And we hope that you have a very, very blessed rest of your weekend. Sayonara. Namaste. Thanks again for listening. Peace out.